This time on Chew Diligence, Jill Silva and I talk with Chef Shanita McAfee Bryant. I don't think that the food world is going away. I think that it's changing. And, and much like the change that needs to happen in this country, there was a change that needed to happen in, in food. And it's unfortunate that it took a global pandemic to break that system. In our conversation earlier this summer, she told us about her new project called The Prospect that goes beyond culinary training. It has a whole person model. So instead of just training people, we also address like barriers. Her video podcast called The Conversation. The question that I'm tired of being asked just nationally is like, where are all the black chefs? There's hundreds of us. And joining the fight to feed Kansas City families. Fresh fruits and vegetables are high. <laughs> They're very expensive. So if you come in and get in a produce box, even allows you 20 more dollars to do something else, then it's a win-win kind of situation for everybody, right? have done a lot of things we should back people up and we should say that you have had a brick and mortar yes and magnolias you have done pop-ups you have done mm -hmm. a food truck um you have done catering mm -hmm. um what about all those experiences do you think led you to wanting to now be a teacher i well because i've always been a teacher so I think people don't understand because someone was like, no, she just has the one child. I'm like, no, I have four children. So a lot of that evolution was very much different and where I was in my stages of different stages of parenting. And so catering was a necessity when they were all younger because it just wasn't possible for me to get three people to school and try to get to a job. And you know what I'm saying? But with catering, they could, they were like making dumplings with me and they were setting tables and they were helping me load the car. That's something that we can all work on together. So, and then the teaching part came really before my dad passed away, I was doing classes at the Culinary Center just for fun, like teaching a couple times a month over there. And I really enjoyed teaching. I like the adult classes, but I really, really, really like the kid classes and like the junior classes. And so I just was like, man, this is kind of cool. And I really liked being at Fair Start because when I first started going there, I went there four times. And so it was amazing to see the evolution of the people that I had worked with. Like, for example, there was a guy that I worked with the first time I went who was just getting started. Then he graduates from the program. So the second time he wasn't there, but the third time he was back volunteering and helping new recruits in the program. So just to kind of see how he moved through that and how it changed his life, I felt like that was like, really impactful and something that I want to do. This business is really hard on you and I want to continue to create, but I just don't see myself. I mean, I'm 40 with a six year old. I don't see myself being able to keep up with the level of work that I did in my twenties. Cause I, I definitely have to do all those stretches in the morning now before I get out of the bed. I mean, every single last one of them. If people don't know um, what the prospect is, talk, talk about what it is. Right. So we got the idea from a very good friend of mine in Seattle. I went out there to cook for a fundraiser and he was working at a place there called Fair Start. 
And what it is, it's a culinary training program, um, it, but in a restaurant, but it has a whole person model. So instead of just training people, we also address like barriers and things that keep people in that cycle of workforce development programs. And what we try to do is address like, what is the issue that is keeping you from being successful? What's keeping you from moving forward? So that way, after you leave from this 16 weeks, you're gonna have us for a dish for the full year to be there with you, to mentor you, to help you with the job search and any issues that arise so that ultimately you're successful. And that model is based on a thriving wage because a lot of the times people, they, they make like just enough money to disqualify them from all of the services that got them to where they needed to be. So then it puts them back into the cycle of, I really can't keep this job because I've lost my daycare assistance. But so it's like, you know, it's just like weird thing. So I'm super excited about doing that. We, we're going to have more of a um, food production emphasis. What age group is this um, geared at? Shania? We're looking at 18 to 30. You know, I would like to really target, um, and I'm starting to get together partnerships with organizations that work with children who are aging out of the foster care system. Because a lot of times they're just kind of, you're, that particular group gets a little bit left in the wind and they're kind of hard to connect with. So we're hoping that providing all the different opportunities in the hospitality world will then allow them to connect with us. And it, you don't necessarily have to cook. You'll be able to learn to bartend. You'll be able to learn to properly wait tables. You could go work out on the farm you know, giving people different avenues and opportunities if they'd like to transition that into an entrepreneurial type career. And I'm really wanting to focus on alternative food careers because I don't think that that's something that we teach people about, like food writing, <laughs> food styling. <laughs> Those are still food careers, but there's not a lot of training and development in that in those areas. Yeah, you have to make that one up. I can attest to that. Yes. <laughs> learn on the fly, learn on the job. Um, what what population though are you are you targeting? Are you um, geographically motivated? Are you looking at socioeconomics or what? Are, what I think that for the most part, um, we would be working with referral partners, and so we're trying to get partnerships with other organizations that pr provide services, and then those referral partnerships would be at no cost to the person who was referred. So I I'm, would be leaning to the let's say for example like the goodwill who, or like a social worker who refers you to me. So we're going to be leaning on them to tell us what that need is. Cause I feel like sometimes with those, with programs, when you focus so much on finances, there's a level of shame attached to that. And I don't want shame to cause somebody to not pursue an opportunity because they feel uncomfortable. And then um, people outside of the community or people who are interested in, let's say like alternative learning, like maybe you're 50 and you've just decided that you want to pursue a career in culinary. You don't necessarily want to go to the JUCO for that full, you know, two-year program, but you'd like to refine your skills. We'd have like a sliding scale payment for people like that.
Since we talked to Shanita in June, she says a location is still being finalized for the prospect. They are still offering food donations on Fridays at the Urban League of Greater Kansas City, hoping to resume giveaways in Kansas soon. You can find more information and their continued fundraising efforts on the website, theprospectkc.org. We're looking for small cohorts because we want it to be like very personal and very hands-on. Because I've learned that from having Magnolias, the the brick and mortars. A lot of times I work with the full employment council or Goodwill and you take on their special needs or their young, their young clients, but I'm in a space where I don't really have the time to give you that. Like, you know, when I say cut the onions, I just need you to know how to deal with that. Like, I don't really have time. I didn't have time at that space to walk you through that. So in this environment, we like the classes to be like eight to 10 people so that we can that like, I, I'm gonna say VIP, that really VIP close one-on-one It sounds experience. like you're really tailoring the experience to the person who comes to you. Yes. In need, whatever that need might be. Yes, yep, yep. Does it change um, your vision for the students, like what you want their future to be in the culinary world with what's going on right now? I mean, it's it has been a devastating time for restaurants. And I think a lot of people are wondering, What's that going to look like in six months, in a year, in two years? What do you think? I don't think that the food world is going away. I think that it's changing. And, and much like the change that needs to happen in this country, there was a change that needed to happen in, in food. And it's unfortunate that it took a global pandemic to break that system, but it was already somewhat failing as it was. And there's been a lot of writing and a lot of like discussion amongst the foodie talking heads that, you know, the restaurant system as it was, was a dying system and it's not a very sustainable business model. It doesn't make sense to expect people to be profitable on such teeny tiny little margins where you're trying to, you know, unless you have a, a big pocket investor or for most small businesses, micro businesses, it was difficult to, um, to be sustained. And I, I personally blame a little bit of that on the Food Network phenomenon. And I don't know if you've ever watched any of the, I've been watching a lot of TV. So there's a Netflix show called The Crown. And early in Queen Elizabeth's uh, queenship, I guess that's what, reign, her husband thought that it would be a good idea to film a at home with us type show. She only did it for a few episodes and then locked it up in the vault and was like, never again, because she was like, you've got, you've taken away the allure. The people don't want to see me sitting and eating TV off of a dinner tray. And I feel like the same thing happened with food, the allure and the creativity and the magic of what we did was somewhat diminished. So now people don't really see that value because they see people on TV making it look so effortless and it's just so easy. And they're like, why do I need to go to a restaurant and pay, you know, $30 for that steak? I just saw the Pioneer Woman make one for $17.50. You see what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. like, so it's like writing a press release, right? People are like, well, why do I need to pay her to do that? It only took her five minutes. Yeah, because she's been doing this for a very long time. So she kind of knows what to do. If I were to write a press release, it would take me a week. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, there's definitely a correlation between um, food TV and the rise in the sort of rock star chef and the rise in culinary education. And I think we're starting to see, um, or at least I've been hearing, you know, it's flattening or even um, trending downward now. I agree. Because it is a really hard. Um, talk to me a little bit about diversity was always very, very important when I was at the newspaper and, you know, always wanting to include chefs of color right. in the reporting. Talk to me a little bit about what our city looks like in terms of, it was hard to find executive chefs, to be quite honest. There aren't any, really. There aren't very many. Mm -mm. And, and that's a certain kind of, um, I guess, authority that you're looking for in certain right. stories. Right. So I'm just, you know, talk to me about how that might be changing. Because when I saw all of the lists and many of the people on the lists for um, supporting Black-owned businesses, I knew. But there were a lot that I was like, oh my gosh. Who's Absolutely. that? I right. who that is. So that brings me to the the second pet project that I've started. It's a video podcast on Facebook called The Conversation. And so I have gotten together with, because you, you're right, the diversity in chefs of my caliber in this city is very slim. But I have been blessed to be tapped into a network of people outside of Kansas City who are very supportive and very, they, if they, they've come to town for me, they bring me to town and we're, we're really there to support each other. So we've really been having this conversation about accountability. And do we hold the publications accountable or do we start to hold ourselves accountable for not taking control of our story and our narratives? and putting ourselves out there. So I think that we, um, you at your paper and in your writing have always done a very good job of if you're going to discuss ethnic food, finding somebody that it is true to the, the marrow and the DNA and the identity of who that person is. Overall in food, that's not always been the case. Sometimes they find some person who's made it trendy but it's not their indigenous, like core DNA cuisine. So I think that as this curve is flattening and as food is making a shift, there's going to be a shift in like integrity and storytelling. And I really believe that as these magazines and online blogs start to seek out people and professionals, then they're going to want to be very authentic about who they get to tell those stories. And I'm gonna be doing my best to provide resources because the question that I'm tired of being asked just nationally is like, where are all the black chefs? There's hundreds of us, we're right underneath your nose. And I don't wanna keep answering that question. There's lots. Go on Instagram and type in hashtag black chef and you're gonna come up with like hundreds of different people cooking and now you might have to sift through that to get to the caliber that you're looking for, but I'm really not gonna be going for people saying, oh, I couldn't find any. I couldn't find a Spanish person to make that paella, so I just had John do it. No, <laughs> you didn't yeah. look. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because just this week in Bon Appetit, there was a major shakeup where the editor um, resigned, but, that then brought up the fact that he had also not been very interested in covering Puerto Rican food, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, 
and it's it's interesting to me some of the questions about this because I always am so interested in reporting on these uh, various communities. I mean, I love talking to people about their food cultures. I don't want to feel like I'm intruding, but I also don't want to feel like I'm being excluded from helping somebody's story get out there. Talk a little bit about how. Well, I think that you might be a little bit of a phenomenon in, um, and, you know, not to say what your personal story is, it could, you could even have been in your career getting a little pushback about, you know, having integrity and being and staying true to what that authentic thing is. So I think that as we are, are moving forward, for me, it's going to be about accountability. Now, with everything that's been going on in this whole entire world, maybe like two weeks ago, I wasn't as gentle about pointing things out as I was because I was like really in an uproar and just mad. But now um, I'm, I'm, I'm being more gentle and really wanting to have like a really true conversation and, you know, especially for Black foodways and Black food culture, the main thing that we have a real, real problem with is appropriation. And I, I'm not going to support or sit silent anymore and watch major companies come in. And it's, it's a different thing when you say, I was inspired by so-and-so restaurant in so-and-so small town who's been doing XYZ dish cuisine style for years it was influenced by their great great whatever that i can appreciate but when you say oh i just discovered xyz thing that i don't i can't support that anymore you you people have got to start giving credit where credit is due one of the chefs that i met in seattle is filipino and he's taught me a lot of things and i would be shameful of me to then be like i just discovered this new filipino <laughs> trend. No, I didn't discover that. <laughs> he taught me that because it's a part of how he grew up. It's like his culture. I can't say I discovered someone's culture and, and post about it on social media or do interviews and act like, oh, this is so new to me. I just found this out. Jeff, I was going to ask you about, you posted taking food boxes to Mount Yes. Hall. Yeah. So we're doing that twice a week. We do it on Thursdays in Kansas Kansas and we do it on Fridays in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, I chose Kansas City, Kansas because it seemed like as I'm sitting at home and scrolling and just kind of looking at like where assistance is being provided for various different needs, it seemed to me like Kansas City, Kansas just kind of gets left off of people's um, radar and they don't understand that it's a, it's a vast part of town in Kansas, yes, but there are huge pockets of that area that are also food deserts that are also you know dealing with food insecurity and the lack of fresh fruit and vegetables and and all of those issues so it's the same thing like i don't even ask we don't even ask questions we just get the people to line up they open up their trunk or unlock their door and we put it in and then in most cases i'm like do you know someone that you can take another box to do you have a grandma do you have an aunt do you have cousins because I think that there's still this like shame thing from people about, you know, accepting a handout and not being able to, and it's not even, it's not even that kind of thing. You know, if you can, first of all, fresh fruits and vegetables are high. <laughs> they're, they're very expensive. 
So if you come in and get in a produce box, even allows you 20 more dollars to do something else, then it's a win-win kind of situation for everybody, right? You're now taking that $20. Maybe it's your phone bill. Maybe it's your rent. Maybe you bought um, some fresh cheese or you were able to get more milk or eggs or bacon or whatever or a chicken to put with it. So, yeah. We're seeing a lot of people that need to need help and are food insecure for maybe the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Need, And then we also have seen that COVID is hitting uh, minority communities disproportionately hard. Right. And so when, when I get on the little, um, and if you've seen me, I'm always making jokes about the Kansas unemployment website because it, it's quite hilarious. It's like, I, was, I basically, if my bad was a like business or a person in real life, it would be the Kansas Department of Labor. They're constantly like, oh, oops. Oh, sorry, our computer crashed. Oh, oops. Sorry, we said that you could, uh, click this link to call us, but sorry, it doesn't work. Or, oh, oops, we accidentally took child support out of your unemployment when you didn't have child support. Our bad. <laughs> like, they're, all, they're constantly, like, they're basically fumbling their way through this, and I'm hoping that before this is over, they're going to get it together. During the COVID-19 pandemic, the Kansas Department of Labor has faced several issues among staggering unemployment claims and what officials call an antiquated system. In June, the Kansas Department of Labor secretary resigned. You can read the latest and a timeline of those issues at KSHB.com. Those weeks and weeks of no money and waiting on their unemployment check. And for some people, it just it was like a, a perfect storm of just things just not going well. I think that sums it up really well. It, it is a perfect storm still. I mean, we haven't solved everything just because some restaurants are opening at half capacity mm-hmm. or continuing to do, you know, very clever curbside, you know, that that's all well and good. I've been actually interviewing a lot of people who are first timers and it's across the board. I think chefs are amazing in a crisis. You guys are kind of built for this, aren't you? Because we're in a crisis every dinner service and every brunch service and every lunch service. (laughs) The whole entire business is built on a crisis. People were like, why are you so calm? I was like, because it's not the time to be losing your shit. Do that later. What did we say? Go cry in the walk-in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but what are the things that we could do right now to be more equitable to people in the food industry? Do you have any? any I think that people should should try to support um, non-chain businesses. And no offense to my non-chain people and my my you know our restaurants that we love that are a part of big restaurant groups across the country they don't really need our help like that. They really don't. They've got, you know, assets on their books and they've got reserves and they got all this stuff that the small person, they have lines of credit. They've got enough financial support. And I know that people are like, well, I try to support um, a small business or a black business and I didn't get good customer service. Well, this would be a good time to have a candid conversation with the powers that be in said establishment and just maybe give them an opportunity to learn and then a second chance. This is not a time for us to be, you know, bashing businesses on social media and making negative posts because a lot of those people are just in survival mode and they're just, they're stressed. Like when I text my friends, they're like, I'm just like, hey, checking in, love you. 
I know it's a lot. You're doing good work because they're stressed. They're stressed. They're worried about their staff. They're worried about their families. They're worried about their business. Figure out how am I going to meet my food minimum with operating at this lower capacity and not have operated for all these months. They're dealing with a lot. They're dealing with a lot. Grace is the word of the day. Grace. Grace. Okay. And thinking about the Black Lives Matter protests that have been going on and supporting Black businesses, how can we be the best ally to those businesses beyond being helpful in pointing out service issues and supporting them that way? What, what, what else can make us? I ally? think that you can integrate. Think of other ways that you can integrate. I was um, on a like diversity and inclusion chat with my, with another group of friends and this is their area of work. And one of them pointed out a tip that I was like, um, it was Dr. Nicole Price. I was like, Oh, that is really helpful. She was like, when you look at your list of vendors and suppliers and people that you do business with, don't just label the black or the Spanish or the ethnic, label the white businesses too. So then you, and you have a real gauge visual like, oh shoot, okay, there are three black businesses on here, but there's 30 non-black businesses on here. I need to probably level this list out so I have more to choose from. And, and it's okay to pick and choose because to be honest, sometimes I do that when I go out to eat. I might go to Jack Stack and get beans, and then I'm gonna go to Elsie's and get um, the beef, the brisket, and then I'm gonna go to Nisi's and get macaroni and cheese and <laughs> sweet potatoes and some rolls. You know what I mean? And then I might go to this person and get chicken. You can, you don't have to like, you know, um, get it all from one person. And if you're in a position of influence, you're sitting on a board or you own a small business and you're gonna do a box lunch or a carry out or something or a cater, small catered event, is there a way that you can integrate and support them in that in that way as well? Excellent advice. What do you think from the consumer standpoint, all the lists going around listing all of the the black owned businesses in Kansas City to support and you know, Postmates and Uber Eats. It's sad that we even need a list, first of all. Right. The idea that we even have to make a list is a little annoying. However, we've made a list. Um, Now I want people to authentically support. Because sometimes I feel like people think supporting is posting and sharing a list. No, it's not. And and Jill and I are in LaDoms, and I really like what we do. Is it Tuesdays? Thursdays. 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 Make an intentional effort to support one of our LaDom restaurants. Everybody, it was like, cause one of the weeks I couldn't do it on Thursday, but I did it on Tuesday, just so that I can make sure that I was participating and supporting that business that week. So, and I know that we all like our favorite, favorite places. So if you could just maybe pick one place a week or two places a week where you go get something, or if you, if you just love brunch, Urban Cafe is open back up for brunch now. Maybe you could drive through and do their brunch on Sunday instead of that new chain place that opened in Westport. That new chain place doesn't really need the level of support that a small business with two two parents supporting two children need. You know what I'm saying? Follow through. Mm -hmm. Follow through. It's more than just posting. Like, actually go. Like, I love my friend Morgan from the library. She always posts her bag. This is what I got. Yes, I posted the list and I ordered. I don't want everybody to feel like they have to post the their actual order, but I would like for people to actually really order 
don't just post it. Is there any sense um, from where you sit right now when the prospect will be able to start? Hopefully next year. It'll probably be next year. The building doesn't have central air, so that air conditioning part has to be addressed. Well, <laughs> so there's a lot of construction. You can't really have classes right now in the, mm -hmm. in the traditional sense. Schools are closed um, mm -hmm. with social distancing, so. Yeah. And I'm thinking that even if this, say we have a resurgence sometime or, you know, lots of the more strict scientists are like, we're going to have one this year and they're going to have another one next year because we're just not taking this seriously. But one of the components that we put in there was like an outdoor lounge, um, very similar to what they have at Powell Gardens. So it would be more loungy and like cool, but we could do out. So it was kind of be like a two full thing. It could serve as like an outdoor event space where people could rent it, but we could also use it as um, an outdoor classroom where we're using that for just instructional purposes. It would be more lecture style, but so that's an opportunity too. And then I've also been, I've had other organizations, nonprofits that have reached out to me about coming to them and doing little instructional series, you know, so there's some possibilities there with us, you know, it may not look exactly the way we want it to, immediately but we'll eventually get there Time. i think everyone's being really innovative and i think restaurants probably had to be one of the quickest to react and that kind of reverberates out through mm -hmm. the whole culinary field i think I, I i've just observed some really clever things going on and i think that's part of what Lindsay and i have been trying to cover through these little podcast yeah. uh, sessions Focusing on COVID, um, you know, we started with um, a, a great example is, you know, Jay Rieger and, you know, hand sanitizer into a hand sanitizer factory. Why not? And now it's a joke. They're like, okay, well, the sanitizer factory is actually going to make some alcohol this week. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I just think that chefs are just really, I, I, you know, if anybody's going to do well and figure out how to do things during this, you guys are kind of a natural. Well, because our whole entire career is made up on this little mind game that we all play. If this happens, then what am I going to do? If that happens, then what am I going to do? If this happens, then what am I going to do? So you're constantly playing these scenarios out in your whole entire head. And, you know, and I'm, I'm all about this downtime and I have really enjoyed. And so it's even, I think a lot of people that I'm talking to that are close, we're close. They're like, you know, I'm kind of reevaluating my work-life balance and I don't know if I'm going to be able to go in as much as I, I did. So, you know, I have friends who are actually now taking their health seriously. You know, they've had this time down to, to lose weight or get their blood pressure under control or, you know, so I think all of those changes are good. All of those changes are good. Yeah. Definitely a time to like reevaluate what matters to you. Yes what matters to you and the prioritization of your time. Because a lot of times we are, we always say that the food business is a beast and it just kind of consumes your whole entire life. And that's not a really enriched way to live a life, you know, where you're just like constantly like, go, 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 go. Yeah. Lindsay, you got any parallels in journalism? Pausing just a little bit, being able to balance I know I my daughter because usually when I'm home I'm home right so now working from home I think she's kind of confused she's like why are you not why are you ignoring me is what I feel like even though I'm sure she's 18 months old she doesn't feel that but right I mean it's it's hard for kids the younger they are maybe to understand at least mine. we have a lot of conversations about time it is a time to step back and your routines have been upended and you know it's, it's 
But new routine and it's it's reevaluating what's important to you. We've taken lots of walks. So um, I don't live, but I live. uh, So it's two and a half miles, you know, boat round trip from the new restaurant that Kara Anderson is at. So it's been nice because that's in a big park. So that's what we do. We get our little backpack on and we walk down there and watching them, you know, get that all ready. Every week we go, it's a little bit different. So there's things that we've been able to do in our new routine that have been kind of fun. What day is it today? You know, Carol, I really commend uh-huh. that was hard to open a restaurant in the middle of a pandemic like this. So <laughs> They've done an amazing job. An amazing job. We'll have to touch base with yeah, you again for sure. as well. Yeah. Well, Shanita, thank you so much for your thoughts. Well, thank you guys for thinking of me. I so appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, keep us posted on the prospect. And if I somebody will. wants to help, what can they do for you now? Right now, we're just doing the um, boxes. So anybody can come out on Thursday or Friday and then fill out our volunteer form. And we're just kind of building that database. So as opportunities come up, we can, you know, put them out there so people know that they're available. Thank you, Chef. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Take care. And you tell too. your daughter hello. I will. Thank <laughs> you. Bye.